0: The next conflict probably isn't going to be won by whoever has the best ships or the best bombers or the best tanks. It's going to be won by whoever can process data most effectively.
1: We are part of a joint and increasingly combined and allied endeavor to face the challenges presented by China and Russia.
2: In order for it to meet the multi-domain operations and JADC2, uh, we're going to have to be able to share data. And, and that's sharing data with our partners, which is really a big deal.
3: With the Russian invasion of Ukraine, the threat of peer warfare is suddenly very real. Multi-domain operations will be central to any future conflict for Five Eyes nations, with communications and connectivity a crucial technological focus. Welcome to Series 3 of Shepherd Studios' Five Eyes Connectivity Podcast, sponsored by our partner ViaSat. For this series, we look at the origins of the Five Eyes Arrangement, consider what it means for military interoperability, and hear how the unique partnership can and should evolve for the future. In our first episode, we looked at the origins of the arrangement and its meaning for military interoperability. For this episode, we dive deeper into military connectivity and hear how the Five Eyes Partners are developing new conops based on the model of multi-domain operations the Russian invasion of Ukraine has heightened the debate about military interoperability. However, all interviews you are about to hear were recorded prior to the outbreak of war. The situation is rapidly developing, and it remains to be seen how the current conflict will reshape doctrinal thinking in the upper echelons of the Five Eyes militaries. But the themes discussed in this episode remain central to the peer-adversary conflict discussion. Multi-domain operations, or MDO, goes by different names. The Pentagon uses the term joint all-domain command and control, while the UK prefers multi-domain integration. We're already seeing the concept played out in real life. For example, Russia combines kinetic assaults with cyber attacks in an effort to disorientate the enemy by presenting multiple dilemmas across multiple domains. The US and its allies must adapt to this new character of warfare because they will not have control over every domain of the battlespace of tomorrow. But as the battlespace becomes more complex, what will it mean for future warfare? Lieutenant-General Sir Jim Hockenhull is Chief of Defence Intelligence at the UK MOD. Speaking last September at the DSEI event in London, he outlined the changing threat environment – which has moved beyond the long-standing focus on terrorism and enduring counter-insurgency
4: campaigns. These threats have not gone away, but we must now also bring our focus back to the complex and sophisticated threats and challenges posed by hostile states. They've learned from our approach of how we responded to violent extremist groups and are adapting and exploiting any vulnerabilities that we may have exposed. They embrace the use of proxies, and asymmetric edge that they gain from operating in the cyber domain. Most significantly, they compete across a broad front, using all the levers available to them, whether they be diplomatic, legal, trade, military, or information related. They know that traditional warfare is costly to all involved, so they try to remain below that threshold, operating in the so-called gray zone, which blurs peace and war, and home and away. Much of the game is made of the novelty of this particular approach, but history provides previous examples played out in the Great Game and during the Cold War. Much of this is not new, even if the tools may have changed. But that threat is not static. It is also accelerating. So our progress risks being outpaced, and therefore we must judge our acceleration against the threats that we face to seize opportunities.
3: Also speaking at DSEI was Lieutenant General Eric Peterson, Deputy Chief of Staff in the U.S. Army.
1: The United States Army is not modernizing in isolation. We are part of a joint and increasingly combined and allied endeavor to face the challenges presented by China and Russia. The United States Army is sharing our thinking on these problems with our friends and allies around the world, not the least of which is that ever-growing special relationship with the UK. We are willing to collaborate when we have shared mutual interests. We are consulting broadly with our allies and partners. We are consulting and collaborating on researching emerging technologies, and in some cases, co-developing next generation weapon systems. When we close ranks and stand side by side, we form a picket line that cannot be broken.
3: While the Five Eyes grouping is better known as an intelligence-sharing partnership, it also plays a crucial role in binding together the militaries of the partner nations – Australia, Canada, New Zealand, the UK and the US. These countries must focus more and more on connectivity, linking assets across different domains and national militaries. In the context of increasing rivalry with China and Russia, the concept of multi-domain operations is one way of achieving this ambition.
1: Multi-domain operations are our operating concepts and ideas for dealing with the future challenges of large-scale conflict. MDO solves problems presented by China and Russia through the application of three tenets, calibrated force posture, multi-domain formations, and convergence. Calibrated force posture combines the pre-positioning of forces for strategic advantage with the ability for strategic maneuver. This vanguard of forces tests and challenges an adversary's A2, AD. These inside forces are survivable and resilient multi-domain formations that can displace and maneuver while presenting foes with multiple dilemmas. The second tenet, multi-domain formations, combines the capacity and the capability to operate across multiple domains. Deployed in layers, hardened, Reduced signature amongst many other attributes. These formations have the endurance and the resilience to continue to operate in both competition and in conflict. For example, the first multi-domain task force delivers long range precision strike, integrated air and missile defense, electronic warfare, space, cyber and information operations in both competition and in conflict. Finally, Convergence describes the integration of capabilities in all domains, land, sea, air, space, the electromagnetic spectrum and cyber, and the information operation to deliver effects across all of those domains synchronized. Convergence in those multi-domain operations requires the continuous rapid integration of those capabilities. And this implies the need for resilient survivable systems that can persist and enable very fast decision-making.
3: How are nations such as the US pursuing this concept? One US Army effort is Project Convergence, a learning campaign with situational awareness and connectivity at its core. This
1: effort looks to solve the challenges of convergence and convergence-related problems through future warfare experiments and capability demonstrations. For example, Project Convergence 20 successfully digitally passed ground targets through an F-35 and vice versa to the ground to our various fire systems. This year, the UK, Australia, and Canada will observe Project Convergence 21. And next year, we are anticipating and welcoming full British participation. Ultimately, the US Army will retain and expand overmatch with China and Russia through decision dominance, where commanders sense, understand, decide, act, and assess faster and more effectively than their adversaries. Our Army Chief of Staff explains it this way. Speed, range, and convergence give us decision dominance, and decision dominance gives us the overmatch that we need.
3: At the heart of this concept is the notion of a connected battlefield, but what does that actually mean? This is Craig Miller, president of government systems
0: at Viasat. The next conflict probably isn't gonna be won by whoever has the best ships or the best bombers or the best tanks. It's gonna be won by whoever can process data most effectively, whoever has the most sensors, whoever can move the data around among the sensors, whoever can process it most quickly and then distribute it back to the shooters that need the data. The differentiation is really going to be who can move data around fastest. It's going to look a little bit like what our homes are starting to look like where we have cell phones that anticipate our routes and give me the right route to take to avoid traffic because it knows if I'm going to work or if I'm going to school or if I'm doing something else. Smart TVs that know what I like to watch and give me a list of the things that it thinks I'll like. These are the type of things that we're going to see in the, the connected battlefield of the future, too. We're, we're going to have devices that are so highly interconnected and so much data that we can move around that you know we're going to have handheld devices with our soldiers instead of just showing a static common operational picture. It's going to say, well, the safest way to get from point A to point B where you need to go is turn left. At this building and right at that building and go through this valley over here because we think the adversary is probably going to advance onto this place over here until you'll have ways like predictive routing you'll have automated logistics and supplies being sent so the bullets go to the place the bullets are about to run out and not sit in a warehouse 100 miles away and so that that type of interconnectedness and automation and predictive behavior is going to be the key. And and again, this is all based on data and having the right data at the right place at the right time is what's going to be the most important thing of the next conflict. Because these things, when you start to scale and have millions of sensors and large numbers of soldiers, you you can't have a person on the loop. This all has to be done in machine time, and it has to be done reliably. And whoever does that best is who's going to win.
3: Brigadier General Jeff Ray is director of the network cross-functional team in U.S. Army Futures Command. General Ray explains how multi-domain operations are the framework for the modernization efforts across the Army, which Army Futures Command is spearheading. The communication advantage is crucial.
2: The the big thing that, that we're looking at is information advantage at the speed of relevance. I think most commanders are really asking for, you know, that information so they can make uh, an informed decision in this congested and contested uh, environment that we're currently operating under. Um, so the ability to rapidly communicate and, and share data is gonna be what the future calls for. And I believe that uh, in order for it to meet the multi-domain operations and JADC2, uh, we're gonna have to be able to share data. And, and that's sharing data with our partners, which is really a big deal.
3: Major General Rob Collins is the U.S. Army's Program Executive Officer for Command, Control, and Communications Tactical. He explains the importance of information advantage.
5: One of our pressing threats is really as we start to pivot out of these small-scale contingency into large-scale combat operations, and we're going to need that information advantage, not just in conflict, but also in competition. And so, you know, as as part of our joint warfighting construct, you know, JADC-2 is going to be what helps us bring together and fuse command and control, fires, log, and information advantage across all those domains and really get get that uh, synchronicity that's required. And it's been said that, you know, the difference between a good decision and a bad decision in the past has maybe been, been seconds or minutes, and in the future battle space, it's going to be milliseconds.
3: Delivering effective communications with allies will be crucial.
2: I think the first thing that we, we have to understand is, you know, what are our partners willing to share? And then we can uh, probably go from there and then really understand what we need to do to build the a, a data fabric in the background in order to have machine learning and AI to help us in, in order to share that data using you know, attribute-based access control in order to get there. So, you know, it's, it's going to be important that when we're sharing sensitive shooter information that we have some way to translate and aggregate that information and, and then uh, share it to, to our partners, uh, whether it be in, in some kind of single pane of glass, if you want to call it that, where that information is not spread across three or four different screens, uh, is going to be important in a multi-domain and the Jazz C2 environment.
3: The reality is that Five Eyes nations and their other allies may not have full control over all domains in a future conflict with peer rivals. In such an environment, secure and assured military communications and connectivity will be vital. The network is vital for U.S. modernization priorities when it comes to MDO. Resilience is crucial.
2: What we're looking at is a a more resilient, more reliable network that we can provide in that environment, in a contested environment, for our, our operators that are going to be on the ground utilizing that capability. The Army... We, we continue to deliver this network that we believe um, not only will work in a multi-domain operation, but in order for us to realize JADC2, it's going to take a couple things. It's going to be one, for us to have a data fabric that allows us to do that. And then two, how do we actually share data with our partners in that, uh, in that uh,
5: multi-domain environment? This really starts with pivoting from what we've been as a network-centric environment into data-centric data is going to be what's going to power, you know, our future, and it really starts and ends there. And we're really trying to leverage a lot of the advances that we've got in in commercial industry. Uh, They've certainly done a lot of things when it comes to the data, data management platforms and others. Um, I'll underscore, too, on the resiliency piece and and where, you know, he's driving with pathway diversity and, and, you know, really when it comes into what we call PACE, our primary uh, alternate contingency and emergency uh, communications capability, wh- whether it's ground, uh, whether it's air, as General Ray mentioned, whether it's SATCOM, and there's now more layers in SATCOM, there's low earth orbit, mid-earth orbit, geosynchronous uh, orbit, or even even infrastructure. We want to tie into whatever is available to ensure that we have assured communications. And then, we, of course, we, we wrap all that in a zero-trust, a, zero trust, a Going from an allow-all, deny-by-exception to deny, authenticate, and have access controls almost at the discrete data level. Probably just the final thing just to do that is not only are we doing that within the Army, within the joint, but also within the coalition uh, arena too. And so this is where you start to get to where we're driving with some of our other uh, partners.
3: What will this future operational environment demand in technological terms? Viasat's Craig Miller describes the threat to communications and the strong need for gateway systems.
0: Part of the electronic warfare spectrum that is getting to be an issue is a lot of terminals and a lot of network equipment can be easily geolocated. And we, we saw this in a conflict in Eastern Europe not too long ago where when users use certain kinds of communication systems, they had ordnance targeted on them within minutes. And so we have to have mindfulness of how we're emitting and how we expose ourselves when we use those communication systems as well, not just whether or not they can be taken away from us. To enable multi-domain operations, you're never gonna get a sort of grand unified communication system where everybody uses the same technologies and they, they use the same transport layers. And so really what's important is gateway functions and functions that translate between one type of communication system and another type of communication system to allow that interoperability. And um, I'll stop and pull back to a commercial example. Um, We all sort of take for granted our cell phones, interact with each other and communicate with each other. But even those have a set of sort of gateway technologies and a sort of translation technologies, because sometimes you're on Wi-Fi and sometimes you're on Bluetooth and sometimes you're on LTE or 5G, all of those things, you're talking to some endpoint that then translates it into some other networking technology. It may traverse three or four networking technologies, and then back to the end user who may be using an iPhone, talking to someone who's talking to an Android. So we have different hardware, uh, different physical layers, sometimes multiple different physical layers, and it all happens transparently. And these problems have all been solved in the commercial space and on the internet. And these solutions, are directly applicable to creating interoperability among different military systems.
3: What steps are the U.S. Army taking to embrace and prepare for this future? Let's return to General Collins and General Ray.
5: Let me just talk to you not only about the what that we're doing, but also a little bit about the, the how. And I, I'll tell you one of the things we're doing is we're viewing network modernization through through both of those lenses. And I think, as General Ray mentioned. You know, he, he's got a very crystal clear vision, laser focus on the what, and I think you've kind of heard, data-centric, transport agnostic, and, and also the, the security and the zero trust principles. What, what I'd also say, too, is in parallel, we're really reimagining the how. And so when I say that, you know, iterative capability sets, uh, modular and open architectures um, that can keep pace with uh, technology. Uh, threat-based capabilities. So we're really leveraging the breadth of acquisition authority pathways that we've been granted both by policy and by statute, and really kind of finally underscoring against the backdrop of what we would call our soldier-centric design and soldier touch points. So that, that's really been really been key. And, and one of the things we've done is a full partner with JADC2, with our joint service coalition uh, and industry partners to, to be able to do that. We've tried to pivot from a, a big bang, deliver it all at once into a, a two-year network capability set delivery process, and that really allows us to insert those new technologies, sensor to shooter enhancements, and as General Ray mentioned, help and keep that informed by, by project uh, convergence.
2: The three fundamental areas that across s and all of our echelons we're looking at is, is three things. is a the transport agnostic that high-speed, high-capacity multi-path on our systems in the future, all our antenna systems that we use in order to, to leverage the transport. We're looking at data centricity, moving away from network-centric, where we should move the network everywhere that we went. We're trying to reach to it now, having that cloud-based environment, whether it be in a tactical or in a strategic environment. And then all that has to be underpinned as the data is moving around in a security architecture that will take us from You know, top secret level information, and we can hand it off, you know, using commercial solutions for classified to our, you know, our tactical forces that are actually conducting operations on a target. So that's kind of where we're looking at that multi layered security architecture as we go forward.
5: Some of the things I tell you by the end of the the fiscal year 22, we're going to have delivered to a total of eight brigade combat teams, six of our uh, reinforcing expeditionary signal units and uh, two of our multi-domain task force. And then our initial capability set was really on tactical formations, uh, infantry B- BCTs, and as we go into our Cape Set 23 and 25 uh, technologies, we're going to start looking at armor formations, striker formations, and then moving up in echelon to division and higher. And I'll tell you, some of the specific technologies that we're looking at is from a, from a data perspective, data management platforms, and the ability to... Assimilate and to be able to ingress and egress large amounts of data. Uh, to be able to take that, whether it's structured and unstructured, uh, store it, persist it, synchronize it, and secure it. From a from a transport perspective, we're looking at technologies that can you know be able to decide between available paths to make make sure we can get those uh, capabilities distributed. And from a security perspective, a lot of zero trust principles, whether it's you know, leveraging you know, data that can be secured at the discrete uh, data element level to how do we do attribute level uh, access controls, uh, whether it's for accessing data based on giving access to data to those that need the data. And even from a coalition perspective, that allows our coalition partners to protect you know, sovereignty uh, where they need deem required.
3: But what is the U.S. Army doing to build experience with the MDO concept?
5: Probably three three areas in particular we're really starting to take a look at. First, first being uh, the the data management platform um, that we call the data fabric, if you will. In fact, we've recently done a lot of experimentation related to that to see you know how do we uh, how do we assemble uh, the various modular piece parts, Lego blocks, as we describe. To be able to bring in all that various types of data that's coming in, whether it's logistical data, whether it's intelligence data, whether it's mission command data, uh, how do we bring that in and make sure that it can be translated, you know, ingested, uh, and then be able to be synthesized, understood, you know, in a human format, so they can be able to facilitate this decision making and do all that at speed. So you're essentially linking a sensor. Through a C2 node um, to a specific shooter. So that's probably one specific area. I would tell you another area that we've been looking at from a perspective is joint and coalition common operational picture is certainly one that we've been looking at. And how do we look at from both a from an operations perspective, but also a force engagement, uh, so that you're seeing things that are traditional situational awareness, but also coupling that with engagement. And then two, uh, starting to look at how do we visualize the cyber domain. Uh, so we have lots of reps and sets with other physical uh, domains of ground, sea, uh, but now I'm starting to bring in cyber and allowing commanders to be able to visualize uh, those specific areas. So I would say that's that's probably uh, two uh, areas that we've looked at from a multi-domain operations perspective, and, and really starting to get some of the reps and sets. And then as we start to learn from there. Uh, start to put those capabilities out to the Indo-PACOM and European Command Theatres so that we can start to get some more uh, feedback as we continue to iterate.
3: Building wider networks of allies presents challenges, for example, in terms of increasing the potential attack surface. However, it's not just a problem to overcome, but can bring a range of operational and technological advantages.
0: There's another commercial example here. Um, in, in the networking world, people talk about Metcalfe's law. And the general gist of that is the utility of a network is proportional to the square of the number of users on it. And so basically the more users you connect together, the more useful any network is. And this this is obvious in things like social networks, right? However, um, the more users that are on there, the more useful the network is. But so I I hate to compare what we're doing in the military context with with social networks, but there, there is a comparison that the more users we connect together, the more sensors we connect to those users, the more devices we connect to each other, the more useful those networks are. And so it's the exact same thing. So we, you know, as we double the number of things that are connected, we probably have a four times increase in effectiveness. And so the, the network is the full force multiplier. And so the more things we can bring together and the more data we can move around, the more successful we're gonna be. And this, this gets right back to the point I was making earlier is that data wins the next conflict. And these networks are a way to move data around, and these are a way to be data-centric.
3: This data-centric warfare will occur at the speed of machines, not humans. We must be able to rapidly move between systems.
0: These things, when you start to scale and have millions of sensors and large numbers of soldiers, you you can't have a person on the loop. This all has to be done in machine time, and it has to be done reliably. And whoever does that best is who's going to win. At the highest level, it's the ability to deny access to a certain domain. They may be able to physically shoot down our spacecraft, so we can't communicate through space, and so we're going to have to figure out how to relay data from aircraft to ships to land users to get them where they need to go. The adversaries are going to have incredibly powerful cyber techniques, and so they may be able to bring down certain networks. And so we have to have a portfolio of networks that we could use, and so if something terrible happens and the wgs network goes down we could all flip over to skynet six or a commercial network or split across six different commercial networks you know the ability to geolocate certain users may force them into an mcon mode where they can't transmit but we still need to get data from them and we may need to use multiple different sources, or multiple different paths to get data to those sets of users. And so the ability of the adversary to to deny certain domains forces us into multi-domain, and the necessity to share data at scale forces us to have these multi-domain systems.
3: Many of the connectivity challenges faced by Five Eyes
0: militaries have already been solved in the commercial domain. So we have different hardware, uh, different physical layers, sometimes multiple different physical layers, And it all happens transparently and these problems have all been solved in the commercial space and on the internet and these solutions are directly applicable to creating interoperability among different military systems too and this this is how you'll get wgs users to talk to skynet 6 users this is how link 16 users can talk to madel or saddle users this is how you can take narrowband uhf and bridge it back into broadband comms and get anywhere with it these types of gateway technologies that and this type of interoperability at the network layer rather than trying to standardize on a physical layer this is what commercial networking companies have have excelled at and done this for years and done it at scale with literally billions of users and so these same solutions can be brought to the defense space too
3: The military transformation efforts underway in the West take place against a backdrop of rapidly advancing rivals, which military chiefs now openly state means China and Russia. Indeed, the threat of MDO originated with such rivals, and the West is playing catch-up. These themes were discussed by General Sir Patrick Sanders, the commander of UK Strategic Command, when he also spoke at the DSEI event in London.
6: What links these authoritarian regimes, and let's name them, Russia and China, is two things. First, an approach that seeks to win without fighting. What George Kennan described memorably as political warfare, and of course General Gerasimov put it like this, the very rules of warfare have changed. The role of non-military means of achieving political and strategic goals has grown, and in many cases they have exceeded the power of force of weapons in their effectiveness. Welcome to the so-called grey zone. And secondly, the expansion of warfare into the novel domains of space and cyber, coupled with an approach to modernisation that pursues the exploitation of disruptive information age technologies and allies these to winning operational concepts that seek to have the same impact as Blitzkrieg did. It's nothing less than a race for advantage in the defining technologies of the future. Under its made-in-China 2025 strategy, China has explicitly declared the ambition to dominate, dominate these technology frontiers. It includes artificial intelligence, advanced computing, quantum technologies, robotics, autonomous systems, commercial space technologies, additive manufacturing, and the Internet of Things, along with new generations, 5G and beyond, of the mobile telecommunications that will connect it. How can we respond to such threats? As Russia's
3: invasion of Ukraine has tragically illustrated, the Five Eyes nations cannot be passive. General Sanders points to the need for multi-domain integration, or MDI, the UK military's name for the concept.
6: So what does MDI look like when it's operationalised? And it's important that we develop specific operational concepts to solve problems either against a particular adversary, a bit of geography, or a particular problem. We need to become much more adept at operating with agility across this grey zone. Fundamentally, we have to make sense of and exploit and manipulate data. And our challenge is twofold. The data landscape is so complex and handling the sheer volume of information and intelligence that could be available to us. Using software to exploit freely available information is important, which is where many of our conversations are with industry. But it's much more challenging than that. And let me try to explain why. So if you work from left to right, if you will, across this spectrum between competition, confrontation, and conflict, we want to be more proactive on social media, exploiting it to deliver consistent, pervasive, and also targeted messages. We also need to operate through social media platforms with much greater agility, countering adversarial campaigns through a range of fora, including third parties if necessary. Take it a step further. We may wish to generate social reaction on the ground. To do all of this, we need a deeper understanding of our audiences. Now this will take time to build. We need well-trained people, including locals, and the right tools. In short, we must become more adept and comfortable with acting across and dominating the cognitive domain. Let's step up the pressure. We need to be prepared to conduct precision soft strike. Sometimes this will be avowed, to deter, sometimes not. We may wish to target adversarial media campaigns, as we have in the past, or disrupt, even neutralise military systems such as a supply chain.
3: Such activities potentially take years to plan. General Sanders outlines the need to think ahead, ensuring they are embedded
6: within enduring campaigns. And let's go one further. We will be prepared to prosecute hard strike at extreme range to destroy carefully selected targets. Designing, maintaining, and constantly developing a pervasive ISR, information surveillance and reconnaissance architecture, across all five domains at multiple classification levels has to be central to this. Communicating across it, protecting it, understanding and exploiting the bulk of data inherent in it, measuring the impact of strikes, and then going again. All of this requires us to move well beyond a fragmented, stovepiped, and poorly governed environment to a single interactive and responsive one. And we need to create synthetic environments where we can practice, to war game, experiment, to plug and play. We need to work out what a flatter, more dispersed, more resilient command and control architecture looks like. Fundamentally, we must develop MDI operational art, exploit current operations to do so, and ensure lessons are fed into an interactive learning domain. And we must integrate this with our longer term conceptual development through the creation of digital twins and synthetic environments
3: The Five Eyes nations and other western allies do have certain advantages over authoritarian regimes This is Dr. William Stoltz, senior advisor for public policy at the Australian National Security College
7: I think this is this is the, the thing to always remember is that China does not have and, and nor does Russia really have large, fulsome networks of friends. You know, they don't have super close allies. The, they aren't battle hardened in performing deeply integrated military operations with other countries. That is uh, something that you know the Five Eyes nations, the NATO countries, and increasingly the Quad countries will have experience in. And so, I think it, it's at several levels. It's at the operating level, just being able to fuse. Multiple countries, militaries together obviously has an operational advantage in terms of bringing a greater um, scale of force to bear in a in a conflict situation. But kind of further upstream from that is, I suppose, in capability development where countries are able to pool their resources, pool their knowledge uh, in a way to achieve capabilities that can't realistically be achieved by single countries anymore –
3: That coalition and allied advantage is top of the agenda for the U.S. Army. Let's turn back to General Ray and General Collins.
2: My last job as the J6 at CENCOM, this was an area that we really dug into because I had, you know, 26 plus partners that I actually were sharing information with through what we call cross domains, uh, where, you know, it's manually moving the data through there by putting in rule, rules, rule base in order for information to move, it's really time for us to look at a true mission partner environment, not a mission partner network. Networks, again, are very cumbersome in order to move data and information around. So what we, what we worked on and what the Army and, and the rest of the DOD is working on right now is a mission partner environment in order for joint all domain command and control to be truly realized. That must happen. But like I said in the beginning, if we don't get with our partners and find out what they're willing to share, then the multi, the mission partner environment really will never be realized because then we don't know what information we can and cannot share with our partners. So I think that's the first thing we have to find out. Policies is the second thing that we have to ensure that we tackle so that we know that we can share particular sensor information and what data we can share with our partners. But in order for the mission partner environment to be truly realized, it needs three things. Attribute-based access control, identity management, and credentialing in order for us to truly realize that mission partner environment and share the data with our partners.
5: We've got multiple work groups that I think, as General Ray mentioned, is the, the policies and the standards and other things. And they've, they looked at everything from engineering and design to the technologies to how do we transition and, and, and go after discrete uh, acquisition you know aspects. And so we're trying to balance how do we do that, how do we do that iteratively, how do we look at things not only what we have from a mature technology perspective, things that have concepts that are available to employ, and then increasingly too, you know, affordability gets a little bit of a vote. I would tell you that you know, some of the other you know specific areas we're looking at is is certainly in the transport and the mission command. You know, how do we start to make sure that we can exchange common collaboration services such as email and voice communications, file chat, video teleconferencing. I, you know, one of the second areas we're really looking at is standards and protocols. Uh, you know, some of the areas that we're working with is the Z and the FMN forums, which you know do allow us to better share with some of the partners. And then. General Ray mentioned too, you know, a lot of the security and the zero trust principles and how do we get, get beyond just parameter-based security to these identity management data tagging principles.
3: The Five Eyes are looking to the future and asking how they can adapt to disruptive technologies like cyber attacks, AI, and quantum computing. We'll look at this area in detail in Episode 3. For now, let's turn to General Collins for some final thoughts on the importance of technological development and the role that data serves.
5: We always say that the network is foundational to all modernization efforts. It, it really touches everything. And, you know, as we talk, the future is all about speed range and convergence. And, that, and that's really what's necessary to get to, to JADC2 and MDO. And I think one of the things we also say, too, is, you know, the the future of warfare really comes comes down to robotics autonomy and artificial intelligence and to be able to accomplish that you've got to have data and you you've got to have a network and so m um, d o really depends on getting commanders at all echelons the ability to see what's going on across all domains and you know in, in any type of environment contested and certainly where General Ray and I work in a very disconnected intermittent limited bandwidth you know environment um, The the transport and the data centricity are are also foundational to artificial intelligence and machine learning um, to really operate the speed of war. I mean, we're looking at various things that everything from tools that assist uh, cyber defenders to protect and defend and mitigate to uh, intelligence software agents that can help maneuver commanders, you know, do course of action analysis. And so I think those are things that the network is going to support MDO and our modernization efforts. And uh, I think along with, you know, not just as an army with our joint coalition partners, I think we're pretty excited about what's going on within our modernization front.
3: Next time on Five Eyes Connectivity, we learn more about the threats and opportunities provided by such new technologies as artificial intelligence, 5G, and quantum computing. And we hear how much of the innovation the military will leverage in the future is being fostered by the commercial sector. That's next time on Five Eyes Connectivity. The Five Eyes Connectivity podcast was created by Shepherd Studio in partnership with our sponsor, Viasat. A big thanks for their support. Thanks to everyone else who gave their time to support the project. This episode is based on open source information, and all participants were expressing their own opinions, not necessarily those of the organisations they represent. The Five Eyes Connectivity podcast was produced by Tony Skinner and Jack Austin, with research and interviews by Damien Kemp, script writing by Jared Cowan, and audio edits by Noemi Stefano. Until next time.